Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. It is Sunday, the 24th day of November, 2019. What do you say we get started with episode 164 of Connecting Dots? Due to our extensive individual stock holdings, personally and professionally, you should assume that clients, the firm, and Mr. Truesdell has a position in all companies discussed, and thus a conflict of interest exists. Let's begin. Well, this is going to be a pretty extensive little uh, discussion that we're going to have today. We're going to begin to talk a little bit about good old-fashioned Tesla. Tesla unveiled an electric pickup truck the other day. Will it be able to take on Ford, Chevy, and Toyota? The starting price, according to Elon Musk, is $39,900, a competitive price point. But can Tesla and Musk pull it off? Well, this is not going to be an easy road, and it's another gamble that's being taken by Elon Musk, and I really respect this guy. Now, the truck market is very lucrative, but what they're doing is going after a niche segment, not going after the mainstream, although this truck probably has an opportunity to go mainstream, but they're definitely going after a niche. Oh. So what they've done is uh, they went up and had a, you know, they came out with their uh, costumes and looked like it's something from the future and from Mad Max. They took their sledgehammers and they beat the dog out of the side of the body and listen, I don't know about you, but anything that would reduce dings and dents and scratches, pretty cool. Now, what I did find out is they were doing that all night long. They were beating the hot, the dog out of that thing. <laughs> and they didn't have any problem. Also, you might have seen all the news media where they threw a, a ball bearing at a window and twice it broke. So they said it failed. But here's the key thing. What nobody's reporting is the fact that they threw that damn ball bearing at those windows over 50 times when they were preparing for their show. They also took the ball bearing and they dropped it from high up onto just glass on the floor and it didn't break. But of course, you know, everybody said Elon uh, dropped an egg on the thing. And uh, But the problem is it's it's not bulletproof glass. It's uh, it's. It's break resistant, and to be very blunt, it's not embarrassing. The media simply has done a really bad job of digging into what this glass is. Obviously, they didn't want it to break, but it is so far advanced from what other people are doing. I think you should give this guy one huge round of applause, in my opinion. Now, the design is inspired by the movie Blade Runner, and, uh, you know, they tend to have these splashy events to generate interest, a lot of self-promotion. Steve Jobs always did that, and he always made these over-the-top statements like, our best product ever. Well, here's the thing. I think it's kind of cool because one of the things they do is they get you interested in what the car's all about now in the case of the truck. And the semi-truck, which isn't out yet, they announced a semi-truck and a Roadster a couple of years ago. And that was in response to Nikola Motors and their hydrogen semi, which I think from a, from a semi basis, from a long-term car basis, I think hydrogen makes a lot of sense. I've talked about this in Connecting Dots extensively over the years. Had a, a pretty multi, pretty extensive multi-part series that I went into it. The concept car is cool, but here's the thing. The consumer market's going to be really tough to crack when it comes to uh, trucks. 70% of your Ford truck buyers, they return and they come back for another purchase. But here's the thing. This is not a vehicle that's going to go after, you know, Bubba 
and his truck, and he loves his Ford truck. You know, that fix or repair daily doesn't make any difference. I'm buying my Ford truck. Now, this is a vehicle that is going to be a fantastic vehicle for, example, companies that have a uh, fleet, and they want to have that fleet on a regular basis. You know, they want to be able to simply uh, recharge in their lot. They want to reduce the fuel uh, timing uh, you know, to go someplace else. Again, it's a, it's a, to me, it's a real, it's a no-brainer. Oh. Now, the high-end Tesla pickup, uh, I guess it's got a towing capacity of like 14,000 pounds. They showed it dragging a Ford F-150. And, um, it's, I mean, it's just kind of cool. Tug of war, it won. But this kind of reminds me of going back to 1984 when you had the introduction of the Apple Macintosh. Again, only one airing for that thing. I don't know if you knew that. January 22nd, 1984. <laughs> And it uh, was during the third quarter of the Super Bowl. And you know, I think it was Super Bowl, let's see, it was 10, 15, 16, I think it was 18. I think it was Super Bowl 18, 1984. Anyways, big hit. I remember it. I immediately went out and bought an, an Apple Macintosh. I think I paid like $3,000 for it back then. So you do the numbers. So here's the thing. I like this vehicle from a couple of different perspectives. One, I like it because it's saving humanity from conformity. So here's a couple of key takeaways. It's going to appeal to a whole new group of people, not just those who want basic transportation, but they want flexibility, dependability. And you know who's really going to love this thing? <laughs> I got to tell you, it came to me as I uh, like, holy cow, this makes sense. Oh, me, oh, my. It's going to be survivalists. Survivalists are going to really love this thing because the bottom line is, it's one of those vehicles that uh, I think a lot of people are going to say, yeah, I mean, I, I really dig this thing. And because of that, again, I, I can basically go off the grid. So it, go, it allows you to go off the grid. And, you know, it's kind of like uh, fashionable nowadays to be a prepper, if you think about it, and this total recall inspiration. But, you know, with trucks, pickup trucks, I mean, come on, whether it's the Ford Tundra or Chevy, Ford, whatever's out there, it's kind of like the same old thing, you know, a little bit of different rounding here or there. But the mere fact that you see this all the time, this is what a truck is supposed to look like, it is brainwashing. So this is kind of like... I don't know, Back to the Future. It's like, uh, I don't know, Marty and his DeLorean. Okay, this is not pure fiction. This is function over fashion. No paint, no sleek curves, a simple platform. It means the aftermarket on this thing is going to be unbelievable. People are going to be able to go out there and buy things and equip things because it's got clean angles, okay? You can square things up. Safety features that were not discussed, pretty obvious on this thing. There's a lot of safety features that, that were not mentioned, and you know we definitely want to see what's going to come out of the thing. But it's, it's again, cold rolled steel. Holy crap. I mean, again, they got the low-end package in the 30s and the 50s and $70,000 packages. Payload, again, 3,500 pounds, 1,400-pound tow capability. Lots of unknowns. And uh, if you want to reserve one of these things, it costs you 100 bucks, and you can get one uh, on reserve, and it's refundable, and you can do what I did because I've got one on reserve. But I will say this. I think preppers are going to really like this thing, the uh, portable generator on wheels, a 250-kilowatt battery. You know, this is the thing about this. This damn thing is basically enough power to power your home for a couple of days. I mean, everything. And if you cut down to the bare essentials, you basically have a generator parked in your garage or in your driveway, and you can do things for a month. For those of us who live in Florida, 
yeah, we get tornadoes, we get hurricanes down here, and when the power goes out, it'd be kind of nice if you could have your refrigerator, some basic fans, and just some basic things running when, uh, again, we have absolutely no power whatsoever. That, my ladies and gentlemen, would be kind of a nice to have. Oh, me, oh, my. So it's kind of like a Tesla Wall Plus, if you think about it. Again, for those of you who are preppers, they're going to say, well, the EMP threat, you know, it could take it out. And eh, no, that's just a, such a low priority thing. Yeah, 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 I get it. Some people want to prepare for everything in the world. But uh, from a, a solar power standpoint, look, you're not going to recharge this thing overnight. Those of you guys are out there who say, uh, yeah, I want to have biodiesel uh, capabilities where I can, uh, you know, make my own diesel and, and keep on going. Well, good luck with that. That's really uh, kind of a pain in the rear end. But a tele, oh, I would say a 10 kilowatt solar array, that's you know a lot. Take a couple of days to charge it. But think about it, you got 500 miles totally off the grid and uh, if you have to get from point a to point b because of the uh the the insurgents that are coming in you know the uh the, i don't know what, what would be something that would be an insurgent let me think about this for a minute uh, what would be walking dead of course what else the walking dead are coming so you know you can get some distance between you and the in the in the herds uh of uh walking dead i mean uh, <laughs> you gotta laugh about this but anyways here's the thing look Here's the thing. This is cool. It's not a traditional truck, okay? It looks like a duck, quacks like a duck, has feathers like a duck. Nope, this one doesn't. It's just not a traditional truck. But you know who's going to want to buy this thing? Who's going to look into it? It's going to be the military. Because if you've got this enhanced GPS thing that they've got going on here, that well, here's the thing. The driving on this thing doesn't use GPS. So when you're in the military and you don't have the jamming, it's learning by, again, by by the It's a whole different process. We talked about this in another podcast. I really don't feel like getting into it, but the way they're doing their self-driving, driving uh, driving assistance and all that, they're doing it different, okay? They're doing it with cameras. So you got the military, you've been going back and forth, and now you got some guys that are pinned down. They need ammo. You just send this this, this, uh, truck out there. It drives, there's nobody on it, and you can get back and forth. I mean, that's kind of cool. Then they showed this electric ATV that were rolled up in the back. My God, it's just, there's some cool features here, in addition to which the damn thing goes from zero to 60, faster than a Porsche 911. They showed a video where it beat it. So the bottom line is this. Elon Musk is brave to do what he did. And we really don't know what's under the front end. We don't know for sure what it drives like. But uh, I got to tell you, I drive a Mercedes S550. I like my vehicle. But for everyday driving, uh, I tell you, if I don't have to worry about dents and dings and scratches, and I could pull up in this thing. I don't know. I think it's kind of cool. I actually might go forward and buy one of these damn things because it uh, it is so cool. <gasps> Well, anyways, I could change my mind, but I definitely will put one on reserve. The mere exposure effect is a psychological phenomenon where people tend to develop a preference for things merely because they are familiar with them. The mere exposure effect is also known as the familiarity principle. Studies have shown that people are attracted to others more often to another person when their appearance is familiar. The engagement becomes more pleasing and likable. Well, here's the thing about advertising. It's the most obvious application of what is known as the mere exposure effect, okay? So exposure of something in over and over and over is going to help a company or product, especially something that's new or unfamiliar, to become recognized. Now, the mere exposure effect 
exists in most areas of decision-making by humans. For example, many stock traders in our business tend to invest in securities of domestic companies merely because of the fact they're more familiar with them. And even though international markets offer maybe similar or better returns, they ignore them. And because of the mere effect, again, it's M-E-R-E, a lot of mutual funds, ETFs, are used index-based mutual funds by those who are simply lemmings. That's all there is to it. People that say, oh, I'm an investor, I'm in the market. No, you're not. You're a lemming walking to a Pied Piper because you hear Vanguard or Fidelity or Schwab and you hear ETFs and you don't know what an ETF is. Get over it. Just because you don't know, it's okay. It's okay to say, I don't understand how this stuff works. No problems there. <gasps> All you got to do is work with somebody who's a real fiduciary. Now, social media, same thing is happening. We're going to talk a lot today about Facebook. A significant amount of stress, for example, and anxiety comes from social media. Look, just exactly like the mirror effect, you start to become familiar, familiar, familiar with things, and you start, it becomes a habit. And see, a good habit is a, is a pathway to success, and bad habits are a rut to failure. And so I guarantee you, I don't care who you are. Every one of us have caught ourselves obsessing over the number of likes that we get on Facebook or any place else out there. It's a competition. I don't know who with, but it's a competition to have more likes. You know, Facebook used to be fun. It was a platform that you went to for a cocktail party. You walked around, you kind of chit-chatted and kept on moving. But it's gotten to be so complicated and so horrible. Again, take a look at our website, black and white, very simple. We limit the gray because gray is not clear. It's a fact. So the number of likes, this engagement, we got to have a meaningful conversation. That's far more important than social media. Now, there's a guy out there that I'll give credit to where credit's due. Oh, me, oh, my. This fellow by the name of Mark O'Donnell from the RGA Network. Now, I don't have an opportunity to go consistently to any one of their events, and sometimes that rubs some of the locals uh, wrong, and I get that. But here's the thing. Mark has created a really cool concept. He's got a great background. He's a very nice gentleman. I haven't gotten really to know him, haven't even had a one-on-one. -on -one. We've chatted a few times at one of these meetings, but he has a thing called mom, and he has a thing called dad's meetings after meetings or meetings, whatever, and then uh, drinks after uh, over dinner or something, whatever these two acronyms are. But here's the key thing is if you really want to get to know somebody, you got to get out of the networking event. So social networking or even face-to-face -face networking, yeah, I get it. The one-to-one -one effectiveness is efficient. Listen, you are definitely, if you're out there trying to make connections in life, it doesn't make any difference if you're an employee or employer or whatever, you need to make meaningful connections. Now, the most basic problem with traditional networking events is that, frankly, there are mixing bowls. You get people from all different occupations and professions. They're there for different reasons. Everyone has to be focused, in my opinion, on their own agenda. And so as a result, uh, you know, it's, it's just really not a good place to do business. But what you're looking to do, if you're like me, I'm only looking for one or two people where there's a decent connection. And then what I want to do is develop a meaningful, mutually beneficial relationship. So if you happen to see me at one of these networking events, and you're kind of a dick, I'm not going to get a hold of you. I'm not there to be a mean person, but I will tell you this. 
I'm not there to fiddle fart around. I kind of want to meet you, talk to you, get a feel for things. You can tell, you know, people kind of like are standoffish. And again, one of the things I can't stand are the, oh, the big men on campus. Yeah, yeah I don't care for that. <laughs> you, uh, you know, you're always kind of telling everybody how great your product and everything. So what, how about just listening and going through about what's really going on? So with that, when we look at social media, I don't view social media any different than these networking events where everybody's just babbling around trying to, no, 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 no. no. The number of times that people follow up with these things is so pathetic. Now, think this thing through. Regardless of whether you're at a really quality organization like LinkedIn Local in Tampa, amazing, West Shore Alliance, amazing. If you're involved, for example, if uh, you go, I'll be, for example, uh, tomorrow night, Monday, I'll be at the... uh, uh, Tampa Rays, uh, Rays. I'm such a baseball fan. I apologize for that. I'll be at the Lightning game, and there's a, a, a networking event for uh, those of who are in the sports arena. The bottom line is going to be a very cool thing. A good friend of mine and I are going to be going there. But the thing is, you know, just because you go doesn't mean you're going to get anything out of it. What you're looking for is establish a couple of really good quality connections in life, and that's just my suggestion to you. If you're on Facebook and you get all these people, you're trying to oh. You know, I got fear of missing out. I want more likes. Don't do that. That stuff is just complete garbage. Just like you're wasting your time if you go to these networking events, you don't follow up. And when somebody does follow up, at least have the courtesy respond back. God, I can't. I just can't believe the number of people that you make a contact with, especially on LinkedIn, for example. And they say, "Oh yeah, let's get together." So you make the contact, and you never hear from them again. What's the problem? You know, you know, it's an easy word to say. Let me give you it. It's a real short word to spell. It has two letters instead of one. No. Fixed cost financial is a true fiduciary based registered investment advisor. What does that mean? It means you are not going to have someone pushing the latest financial product that will generate additional commissions. This is what your current person or company is doing. If you pay more because you buy or sell more, have more under management, or profit more, you are paying a commission. If you're done with a conflicted advisor, agent, banker, broker, or financial planner, this is where you belong, and it's called Fixed Cost Financial. At Fixed Cost Financial we support the removal of likes from social media outlets. However, there's a crummy reason why Facebook is doing it. Let's talk about it. So one of the things that we know about Facebook is that they are into making money at our expenses. Okay, that's all there is to it. I've said this before that Twitter, Facebook, and several of these other social media sites, you need to be regulated as utilities. You can agree or disagree with that, but it is a public utility. Now, Instagram... My understanding is all around the world, they're stopping their likes. It's going to be coming here to the United States. But here's the thing. Why would Facebook begin taking away the likes out there? Well, Mark Zuckerberg is a pretty clever guy, okay? He knows how to make money. He's got that in his DNA. So if you don't know how many people like your item, and you're a small employer, a small business, even a medium-sized business, check this out. You have to pay them now for advertising. So you knew that if you put something up in the past, you could kind of see what the metrics were if people liked you or didn't like you. Now, what we do know 
is they've been scamming a lot of people for a long time when it comes to how many people are actually looking at your item. And I'm going to talk about that in a little bit. But here's the takeaway on this. If you don't have any idea what your engagement level is, you don't have any way to benchmark it, you may have something that's popular, but you don't know because you don't have any more likes on it. And again, they pigeonhole you in a small group. You're not going to, what are you going to do? I mean, you're going to have to use them for, again, advertising, pay to play. It's been that way for a long time. Same thing with uh, LinkedIn. LinkedIn, again, you know, you get a little bit of an ego thing. You can see how many people have viewed your stuff, but what does it really mean? What does really the performance mean? So Facebook has no ethics, absolutely none whatsoever. Why people continue to launder their dirty laundry on Facebook is really beyond me. So with that being said, this is what Facebook used to be. used to be a cocktail party. And when I said this years ago, I had so many people say, yeah, you're right. This is so cool. Facebook is like past tense when it first came out. It's like a cocktail party. Now it's a real lousy party. Everybody's walled off, all in their little tiny rooms. Instead of just having a a large room where you could kind of mingle. Now, to give you an idea about walling off, I had an opportunity to go to Top Golf for a networking event. The guy who put it on, the organization's great. I'm not going to get into that. But because it was at Top Golf and you had all these golf bays and everything else, it wasn't kind of a free flow where you can walk around. The engagement level wasn't as high as a first-time attender as I thought it would be. It wasn't necessarily ideal for floating around. I had a great time, met some nice people. But doing networking can be difficult, and the attendance was really good. But again, making solid connections, as I said in the prior episode, that's all you want. You simply want to go there to find a few people where you have a meaningful face-to-face discussion afterwards. Now, let's get back to Facebook. Oh, me, oh, my. They have no ethics, and it's only about making money in any way, shape, or form, whatever the angle is. And again, it's really no different than your typical advisor, agent, banker, broker, dealer, or financial planner who is always now selling you, oh, what are they selling? Mortgages, oh, loans, credit cards, they're selling your data, oh, got to buy the annuities, got to buy that life insurance. They're always pitching a product. It's the same thing that's going on in YouTube. There is no ethics out there. Basically, it's a blue light special. They got you in, they suckered you in, and then they started selling you all sorts of crap. With us, we put it right in. I mean, it's in writing. No fans or butts about it. We're a fiduciary. We don't sell your data. We're not going to sell you a bunch of crap. We do what we do. We do it efficiently and effectively. And that is all there is to it. Old school. New school. Combine the two and what do you have? At Fixed Cost Financial, our approach is one school. What does that mean? Let's connect some more dots. So we talked about Elon Musk and how they're going after a niche market. I talked a little bit about networking and saying, regardless of whether it's social or face-to-face, just look for a handful of people that you're going to make a really deep connection with. Talked a little bit about what Mark O'Donnell at RGA is doing and how he talks about you have a long-term process at these RGA events in which you make connections. I told you a little bit about I'm going to things like West Shore Alliance, uh, LinkedIn Local, and several of these other networking organizations like Network After Work. And what do you do? You're looking to make some long-term connections. I also told you a lot of people don't know what the hell they're doing when they're trying to make connections. And it's not about going out and meeting everybody and handing all the business cards out or having all the likes and having all the friends. It's about having the right kind of a relationship, okay? Frankly, what we do, I think, is pretty damn cool. And as a result of it, it kind of surprises me sometimes when people don't get it. But it is what it is what it is. <laughs> so when you take old school approaches, right? Shaking hands, meeting people, getting to know it. 
And then you combine that with new school. So you have the word O-L-D and the word N-E-W. You combine those together, you got one, O-N-E. One school approach is what we do. We don't try to do one thing for one person, another thing for another person. It's just the same across the board, period. And it makes sense. It's a whole lot less expensive. It's a whole lot more efficient. And what we do find is that sometimes people have intolerance, both corporations and consumers. It's not my problem. It's not my problem that you sit back and go, well, when I say jump, I expect you to say how high. Oh. Yeah, it's not my problem because I don't work with people like that. Our company, in my approach, I set the ground rules. Nope, we're not going to work with those kind of people. No ifs, no ands, no buts about it. Oh, me, oh, my. Those people can go fly a kite. Because what we want is we want nice people to understand that we're a real fiduciary. We're doing a real thing, direct ownership, direct indexing. And you can blacklist the companies that you don't want to have in your portfolio, which means if you're socially responsible or an ESG investor or whatever it is that you are that is politically correct to you, okay, to you, not somebody else, that's what we're here to do. So the bottom line is there are a lot of people who are immature. They're impatient and they suffer from the mirror. Remember we talked about that, the mirror effect where, oh, I've got to be so engaged. It's part of that FOMO. Turn damn things off, folks. It's about human engagement. Been beautiful weather lately. Go out for a walk. Enjoy things. Wash your car instead of going through a car wash. Make a picnic. Have some fun in life. God almighty. Everybody works nonstop at stupid stuff. So here's the thing. There's a lot of things that can't be done by artificial intelligence, but there's a lot of things that can be done if you use your God-given intelligence that you have. And all of us, me included, we're not really using our full gifts. That, unfortunately, is kind of sad. When you are a client of Fixed Cost Financial, we make our connections and resources available to you. For example, do you have a variable annuity with a surrender charge and high administrative costs? Why? Why did you buy it? Most likely you were sold it, and yet, there are no load, and very low-cost variable annuities that will cost you far less. We know how to get you out of a high-cost annuity and into a low-cost annuity, but you first must be a client of ours. Not all parents are clueless, but far too many are. The abdication of responsibility is as bad as the opposite of never letting go of helicopter parenting. These extremes, letting your child's smartphone become the de facto primary parent and being the never-ending hovering parent who can't let a child be a child and grow up, may be the crux of FOMO teen suicides. Here's the problem. Again, not all parents are clueless. Teen suicides is ridiculous. We have far too many kids that are killing themselves, and we have adults doing the same thing, engaging in violent behavior. Remember, we had a murder-suicide here in Ocala, Florida over this very same thing. 
fear of missing out. This guy's on Facebook, she's on Facebook, who are you talking to? All this crap. But here's the thing, at what age do you give your kids a smartphone? And at what age do you sit back and go, listen, my kid's not healthy with weight, they don't exercise. You know, the days in which, well, I get it, it was the 50s and 60s. I don't know about you, but let me tell you what it was like when I grew up. Oh. We rode bikes. My God, we'd put 50, 100, 200 miles on our bikes a day. And we'd go places and do things. We played Cowboys and Indians. We played G.I. Joe. We played Army. We had basketball hoops, but we also didn't. Well, we had baseball, but we didn't have any parks. You know what we did? We found empty lots. We mowed them. We made our own baseball fields. We did the same thing for football. We actually made our own, and then somebody would buy the lot and build a house. We lost our playground, right? During the winter, we made ice skating rinks. We'd go to a lot. We had a lot by a, by a crook. What did we do? Well, we got a bunch of shovels, and we dug holes ground was damn near frozen. Oh, hell, it was frozen. It was hard. Oh, me, oh, my. But we wound up flooding again an area, and we made our own ice skating rinks until, of course, some of the stalks that came up, and we'd hit those with our skates and go flying. I mean, we had cuts and bangs and bruises, probably broke a few fingers and bones, but that's what we did. If we had snow, we'd stomp it down. We'd take a hose from the septic, uh, from the basement, run it through the basement window, and we'd flood it. Again, that's what was cool. We had something that we did things. We were out moving around. Are kids doing that today? Nah, they're not doing that today. And the problem is all these girls are growing up with social media. And, and again, it's not a girl. It's a guy thing. It's a little bit of everything. It is what it is. But some of these kids, you're going to have to tell them they're going to, they got to toughen up. It's just wor- sticks and stones will break your bones. you got to be worried about that. But words aren't going to harm you. The whole damn world is so damn sensitive. You're going to have to make your kids a little, toughen your kids up for crying out loud. This whole social media thing is just a, it's, it's a GD mess. It's, a, it's just totally screwed up. What we got to do, this is what we've got to do. we got to start rebooting our kids, okay? you got to reboot your kids. Their relationships with their phones and their tablets and their computers, it's just nuts. Question, is your kid get angry and obnoxious and anxious, even violent, if you take their phone away? If they do, you got a problem. they got a problem, and it's probably because of you. Does he or she withdraw from activities and social events because they got to use their cell phone? I mean, come on, this is not right. Are the relationships at school and, and their hygiene suffering? And, you know, again, all the cell phone use. These same things apply to you, just as like to me and everything else. So what I'm asking you to do is this. This broadcast is about social media. It's about making real connections. It's about networking. It's about a whole bunch of things. We're going to tie them all together. But the bottom line is social media is fake. You do realize that. All these people you have as friends are fake. A lot of these people you knew from years ago and you reconnected, they're fake. You've lost that connection. You're not going to get it back. Oh, yeah, you want to rekindle that old love or something yeah whatever god bless you (laughs) you know you're just wasting your time and effort oh no but here's the key thing you know you want to be a little flirtatious that's one thing you want to have a friend that's one thing but most of these people don't give a damn about you or you don't give a damn about them it's the people you have real contact with just remember that it's the people you have real contact with that mean real things in life wikipedia yikes now there's Wiki Social. With Wiki's track record, is this nothing more than another Facebook? Yeah, I gotta tell you, I'm really concerned about this. Wikipedia. Wikipedia. Wiki, Wiki, Wiki. Yeah, Wikipedia is uh, oftentimes full of crap. The information on there is not accurate. Anyone who's a teacher that accepts 
for example, papers written with Wikipedia as a sole source is just, it just, just it's bad. This is not the Encyclopedia Britannica. This is not HarperCollins. This is just not an organization that has good, solid information. Now, the people that volunteer, they do a great job. But there's far too many people who have an agenda. If it's a political hot topic, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Now, Wikipedia's co-founder, Jim, founder Jimmy Wales, is uh, a native of Alabama. And he has created a new social media platform. I actually just signed up for it. It's called uh, WT Social. Now, what they're saying is uh, social no- networks have grown, and they've also amplified the voices of bad actors. There you go. Who's a bad actor? Once again, everybody's got to control everybody's voice. And they're, they're, you know, if you're too stupid to know what's fake, and oh my God, the number of people, especially law enforcement officers that I've seen over the years, people I worked with who uh, will t- take something just as gospel. It's like, oh, this has got to be the case. Obama fathered 15 children. Yeah. <laughs> These are the same morons on the other side who say things like, oh, no, yeah, orange man, always bad, right? It's just, God, the whole world is so divided. It's getting so sick. I actually think I'm in the majority. I think a lot of people out there are just getting totally sick of the crap out there from the media and the politicians. But again, they're saying fake news has influenced global events and algorithms uh, can only uh, encourage these things. And they've got to have, they got to keep people from being addicted to these platforms without any substance. Oh my God, it's just that kind of language just makes me want to puke. So here's the thing. They say they're not going to sell your data. They're going to have a platform that's going to basically, it's going to benefit from the generosity of, of, of people. If you want access to it, you can get access to it. Now you just got to pay a hundred bucks. Give them a hundred dollars. You got instant access. If you don't pay, you got to sit in a waiting list. I think the waiting list is over a quarter of a million, three or 400,000, something like that. Now here's the thing. They're going to empower people to make their own choices as to what the content is that they're going to be served. And they're going to help let everybody directly edit misleading headlines and flag problem posts. You know what that means. That's just censorship. What in the hell is the matter with people who, you know, stop the censorship? All we need is let people be people be people. Not everybody is as dumb as a sack of rocks. Now, here's the thing. Wikipedia, I get it. They want to be different. They want to be different. They want to do the right thing. If you really want to do the right thing, don't censor people. Let people self-curate. And if you go back to what I said before, be a parent, okay? The fear of missing out, you're sitting there on Facebook because you are afraid of something happening that you won't know about. Get a life, Sherlock, and get your damn kids off it as well. Quit letting... Computers raise your kids, okay? It's a damn joke. How about this? How about you actually teach your kids that the world's a tough place so that you empower them so that little things like a, a bad word doesn't cause them to go into total meltdown in Suicideville? If you have a financial planner who is also your insurance agent, stockbroker, and investment advisor, then you do not have a true fiduciary-based financial planner. 
An architect does not build homes. And a financial planner should not sell financial products. When Facebook began, Paul Truesdell said, quote, Facebook is like a cocktail party. You drop in, get a drink, start a conversation. Chat for a few moments. Catch up and move on. If you want to expand the conversation privately you can. That's when it was fun, worthwhile, and normal. That was then, that's not how it is today. So I became a Facebook user right around 2004 in the spring. That was in its early days. And at the time, Facebook, I was one of its biggest fans. I literally involved in myself and, and engaged in anything that they had. I did videos. I was one of the very first people that did videos up there. You had to apply for it. And I got it. And it was kind of cool. But here's what's happened. Facebook became really complicated Around 2007, they started realizing that, well, they could make a lot of money. And that's when I realized there's something really wrong with Facebook. And I started seeing that, yeah, I get it. You know, they got to make money. They're spending millions and billions of dollars on this. And people are, however, getting ripped off. They're selling their content. And then they're selling their data. And what I did is I started seeing that the connections that I was making, the connections I really wanted to keep... They were being lost. There were people out there that I enjoyed following, but Facebook didn't allow me to follow them. In other words, you had to work it. So I participated in a big study with a whole bunch of other people. We did it very covertly. And when we got done, we made some calls and visits uh, with people of influence and got the ball rolling. And you know what the rest of the story is. Anyone that knows me knows how I do these things. So the bottom line is simply this. What they've done is they have very targeted advertising and they follow everything you're doing. Talk about big data and big brother. And again, this data oftentimes leaks out. Oh, the Republicans and Democrats. Here, here's the thing, you know, when Obama used Facebook, it was an innovative thing. It was fantastic. He's get social engagement from all these people. But then when Trump did it and outplayed the Democrats, now it's like, oh, it's terrible. It's a, we have to impeach this guy for what he's doing. And the Russians have all the influence. I don't care if you're Republican, Democrat, or independent, or whatever it is. If you're a politician, it's just, just a different side of the same damn coin as far as I'm concerned. And I think a lot of people are following my lead on that and believe it. Oh. So the thing is, it's just it, it, it was just a big lie with Facebook when it comes to how many people are actually looking at your advertisements. Now, I just saw a study. Zero. Now, just write this down. Put down the word zero. Word. Put the number down. Zero point zero zero. That's like 26 people out of every 100,000, okay? 0. 0.0026 is 26 out of 100,000 people. I got news for you. If you want to get in front of people, if you want to get in front of people, you know what you do? Oh, me, oh, my. Make a brochure up and stand on the sidewalk and hand it out to people. You'll get more business, more people putting eyes on your ad. If you go, for example, to New York City, stand on any street corner with a lot of traffic, hand out one brochure an hour, and you will get more engagement than you will with Facebook. Oh boy, oh boy, they got to charge at advertising dollars. And it goes back to what I said before, that mirror thing, right? I mean, just that constant propaganda. Oh, Facebook, 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 Facebook. Oh, it's got to be social media. We got to do it. We got to do it. We got to spend millions and millions and billions of dollars. But what you're really doing is you're conditioning people to do things and blow their money, their time, their effort, and their energy 
And there's a lot of corruption out there when it comes to what really works. So when it comes to advertising, I got news for you, boys and girls, one and all, listen to this. (laughs) It's time, it's money, it's effort, it's results, and what does it do to your pipeline? So look, there's no lock-in here when it comes to doing one thing right. You know, Facebook doesn't have a monopoly. Your friends are probably the worst people possible that you'll ever do business with because most people realize oh, no. you don't do business with friends. And Google and Yahoo and even LinkedIn, they all of them have their pros and cons. But when you get a company that intentionally throttles you and doesn't tell you exactly how it works, that's wrong. I'm going to say it again. These companies need to be regulated like public utilities. We depend upon them. You depend upon them. And so when you start connecting the dots and you see how the social influence, how parents are abdicating to their kids, playing these stupid games online, the, the Candy Crush or whatever these things are out there. I don't know what they are. Oh. That's the one area. When it comes to gaming, I, I know who makes it. I know the companies. I I know how to invest, but as far as how these games work, that's not what I do. Never, not interested in least, but, but I will say this, social media has got a control over a lot of you, and you ought to break that real quick. All things being equal, those who pay less have been more. However, there comes a time when paying less can be damaging. If you pay less financially but you have to spend more time doing something that you are not good at, don't like, and find unrewarding, then the results will often be lousy. At Fixed Cost Financial, we know how to do it right and empower our clients to the degree that each one, on an individual basis, feels comfortable. discussion about hiring employees from the view of an employer prospective employee and recruiter so randy calabrese is a recruiter with bolton group and i've known randy for about a year or so now, this guy is a first class guy randy is going places in the bolton group well it's recognized as one of the leading finance and accounting search firms serving the midwest southeast and your mid-atlantic markets Randy's focus and his expertise is directed at building meaningful relationships and business development as well as recruiting, primarily in the areas of accounting and in financial positions within the Cleveland and Tampa area. I know he also does some business in the New York area as well. Now, Randy and I recently were down at my office in Tampa at Bay 3 at the Armature Works, and we were sitting in the, one of the public areas. So the background noise is a little lousy. It's the second time I've had Randy on the show. But we cleaned it up a little bit, and with that, here's a good guy, somebody you should know if you're looking, again, for a position in the area of accounting and finance. I'd get a hold of Randy. You can get a hold of him on LinkedIn. You can get a hold of him by way of the Bolton Group. You can look at our show notes on how to get a hold of Randy, but I'm going to tell you, I like this guy. Enjoyed the interview, and we'll be back after that. You were saying you went to the um, an event. Yes, it was a, an event for transitioning military to either start their own business, be entrepreneurs, or to go into uh, the civilian workforce. 
Um, it was held at Hillsborough Community College. Uh, I wasn't able to stay very long, but um, I've been talking to some people about this uh, and what the difficulties are for our uh, transitioning military to go into a traditional corporate role um, once they're done with their service. Um, and one of the major uh, kind of stalling points or pain points for somebody who's transitioning military is getting the opportunity to even interview for some of these positions they're qualified for. Uh, and from what I've seen, most of that is, is occurring because um, there's a language barrier between what they did in their military service and, and kind of how that translates to the corporate world. And I don't think HR and some of these corporations really understands that unless they have a military background. So, so basically every profession has their own jargon and these guys just have... You were saying earlier when we were doing the, the discussing this before we went live, they have their own jargon. They tend to be overly yeah, they detailed. Just, it's just the military structure of things, right? Yeah, they're they're extremely organized, but they have their own acronyms um, that they understand very well. Um, they may land it, manage uh, large teams. Um, they may do certain things in in kind of the operations or supply chain world, but it's. More military focused, so you know some of the way they do things might sound different from what's done in a corporate world. But I think the actual strategy and um, the way they think about things could could translate. It's just now putting it from your military terms into basic civilian or you know corporate job description language to get in front of somebody and kind of explain that. The hardest part's always getting in front of the interviewer. Once you're in the interviewer, with the interviewer, I think you can kind of talk your way through that. But I think people are getting passed up on just because there's a certain barrier with the acronyms and uh, how detailed some of the resumes are and, and um, maybe some of the dollar amounts that the military management people use could scare people away, make them feel they're overqualified for roles that they're not, um, things like that. So my question is, do you think yeah. it, some of it has to do with the fact that these guys are geared towards taking orders, don't question authority, they're not selling? I mean, it, in my opinion, if you're a young person, you go in the military, and you've been taught to read a manual, you're taught to run the equipment, you're, you're basically everything in your life is told, you're told what to mm -hmm. do. That sets a precedent, it's a habit. And they, I, I, I can see where these guys and gals have a hard time than getting out in the civilian world where you've got to sell yourself. I mean, you know, or, or am I off on that? Uh, I don't think it's, I don't think the structure in, in being organized and, and having to do things a, a certain way is the problem. I think it goes back to the thing that we've talked about before is you don't know what you don't know and you know what you know and what they know is that military lifestyle the military lingo, um, and just to be clear, I'm not a military veteran, I don't, I don't know, but no, just kind either, of yeah. from, from what I see on the outside looking in is they know what they know in that military setting, and they don't know um, what the corporate, you know, maybe the corporate lingo is, or um, maybe they don't know how to translate, um, you know, what they do in the military to an exact job description. And even outside of transitioning military, one of the, the biggest problems I see is um, 
people applying for jobs, they don't even read read the job description. So, um, you know, I think the, the first thing is uh, transitioning military really needs to focus on is, is is the job description, but then translating, you know, what they do into to, to simpler terms, right? Um, some of the stuff that they get into can, can seem complicated just because of, you know, the intricate details that they have to know in the military. Um, because if you screw something up in the military, you know, some bad things could happen. So um, I definitely think it's just a, it's a language barrier. I think most of these people have the skills that um, could easily translate into a corporate world. It's just, it just kind of knowing the vocabulary to look for and then, um, like anything, explaining your experience um, in a way that relates to the job that you're going to apply for. How can you help these people? Um, you know, I think... I think just kind of sitting down with them, um, walking through a job description that might make sense for them from the corporate side, and look at their resume with them, and literally go point by point from their skill set to the job description, and kind of bridge that gap between the military language to the corporate uh, or civilian um, job language. I think that's the, the biggest thing. Do you have anything that you've put together or access to, like a checklist? You know me, I'm big into yeah. checklists. I, I don't. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's not even a military thing. It's what I tell everyone who's applying to any job. Uh, the things you should know is it should take you about an hour to apply to any job that you're going to apply to online. And people kind of look at me and say, really? And I say, yeah, if you're really interested in this job, you need to look at the bullets, understand exactly what each bullet means, and you need to make sure that you really probably can qualify for about 80% of the responsibility or have some type of experience that can transition into those, those roles. And then I tell them to take their resume um, and make sure their last two or three positions can uh, directly correlate to what's in the job description that they're applying for. Uh, so I'll tell them in your most recent position, have three bullets that are pretty, pretty standard that you can use for any job that you're going to apply to, and then have a fourth and fifth bullet point that is exactly tailored to the job you're applying for. So if you're applying for 10 different jobs, those last two bullet points can be 10 different things uh, on each, each uh, application. Um, you need to look for keywords, uh, key softwares that they use, you know, just kind of some things that will make you stand out. Um, and you can do that with your resume. You can do that with higher showing yourself on LinkedIn or Monster or Indeed or, what, you know, whatever platform you're using. Um, so uh, I think people really need to, to take the time and think about it more when they apply if they're serious about some of these jobs. I'm going to give you a couple of quick things. As an employer, somebody who actually employs people, I have uh, always used one simple question. You know, they okay. come in, they have the resume, the whole nine yards. And then I always say, just a real open question, what is it that we do? Yeah, you got to know what the company does. And I, nine out of ten times they've not done any research. They don't know anything. Or they'll say, well, you, uh, you invest like stocks or bonds, <laughs> like a broker. Yeah, they, they have no clue. And that, that immediately takes them out of the running. I always, if, if you didn't take the time to know what we do, why should I take the time to teach you because you already indicated you're not willing to learn. That's, I'm going to tell you straight up, that's, 
that's really good advice that you're giving people. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I mean, that's one of the things, you know, when I say it should take you an hour to apply, one, the applications are long in general because you have to retype in basically your entire resume. But um, you obviously have to like the job or want to do the job that you're applying to. But if you don't know what the company's doing or what they're involved in or what they're passionate about, I don't understand how you could apply for a job not knowing that because... If you don't love what they do or are interested in what they do, you're probably not going to last very long or you're not going to get promoted <laughs> very timely. So, um, One of the last hires I had, the person actually walked in and uh, they knew exactly what we did. Mm -hmm. And I didn't have to prompt this at all, not one bit. The, the comment was I hired, I hired this person immediately. I literally, within, within 30 minutes, they had a job. And I started them at a salary higher than anybody else I'd ever started. The person said, what you are doing is brilliant. Nobody's doing this. Oh, my God, where has this been? And, and I said, well, you know, thank you very much. They worked on Wall Street. And make a long story short, they knew exactly what, they knew exactly what the profit margins are. They knew exactly what a boiler room is all about. They said, this is, this is the way it's supposed to be. I, you're hired. Yeah. I, I mean, you're hired. Yeah, they, you, they did the research. They knew everything. They had that base knowledge, but it was like, and she's still with me today. I can I can tell you, we do an initial phone screen, and mine's my phone screens with candidates last ten to fifteen minutes. You know, it's nothing that's too intricate, and I can tell you with about you know ninety percent certain certainty in 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 my experience who's going to get an interview and who's. Probably not. Uh, and even if they get an interview, you know, who's going to be prepared enough that they're going to continue on with the process maybe to an offer stage? Um, I feel like 80 to 90 percent of the people I actually um, get offers for, uh, I'm pretty confident that I know from the first conversation that they're going to be uh, one of the top two candidates in the running for a position. Um, as an example, I'm working on a director of accounting position in Washington, D.C. for a large real estate investment group, and I submitted seven people for this position. And the last person I submitted was my favorite. And I knew, uh, was pretty certain that he would be, just by the way he spoke, uh, his knowledge on what they're looking for, um, and his experience, just based off a 10-minute conversation, I knew he was going to be in the top two or three people. And now we're working through a process, uh, basically, to figure out making sure a number works to make this guy an offer. So uh, it's pretty clear if you're prepared, you know what you do, you're passionate about what you do, and you have uh, the drive to continue to progress your career, that you're going to go a long way. And most of the time, you're, you're going to be a, a top candidate that these companies are going to look at so that's important you got to be you got to be prepared and, and know what's going on you know I I mean this very sincerely when I say this you know this with what we're doing at fixed cost financial yep. I mean quite literally I mean think about this I have been preparing for our launch in 2020 since October 21st 1987 when I first got the idea I drill for skill Mm -hmm. I mean, we've talked a lot. I can rattle all this stuff up. I would hope that it comes across like, holy cow, somebody knows what they're doing. 
Yeah. But I don't rest on my laurels. There's always something new. We've created a couple of new things. I haven't shared with you. I'm not going to share sure. with anybody until next year that are just mind-blowing. But you have to build on that. I think some people get one or two years' experience, and it's like, okay, then they just sit back and, and chill. Then yeah. when they lose their job, it's like, why, why am I not getting another job of the same caliber or uh, same pay? Right. Well, dude... Um, Horseshoes are still being made, but there's just not that many horses that yeah. people don't ride horses anymore. I mean, well, it's just... It's going to become more important, too, as we see probably the, the artificial intelligence come into play, too. You know, the people who are willing to grow and continue to learn, especially on the IT side. Um, you know, those are the people that are going to last uh, and continue to get promoted and those types of things. Um, and, you know, the people who aren't, who are just kind of happy and stagnant, um, you know, don't speak up, don't try and get a new project. So those are the people that are going to be those lifers at, you know, those mid-level positions um, where there's not much growth. Speaking of that, you said mid-level positions. Yeah. That's the one thing you have a, the hardest time filling. Is that correct? Uh, I wouldn't say the hardest time. I would say that's the, the area we have the most opportunity. So, um, you know, we discussed a little bit. Uh, you asked me about... Um, meeting uh, recent college grads and, you know, being able to get resumes and then pushing those people to uh, companies. And I said that's a little bit harder to do because most companies, the entry level, that, that's kind of an easy position for them to fill just because there's so much demand. There's so many students coming out of college with some of those basic skills that could fit in and, and, and then kind of learn. Um, and then on the other end of the spectrum, the executive level, there's just not as many opportunities. Um, they're very specific positions. They're very specific organizations, they need certain skills, um, so you're only going to have a handful of those people that are going to be qualified for those rare roles that open. Uh, and then you kind of meet in the middle um, where you have people who are looking to move up, you've got a lot of different skill sets they can use, um, you know, you got to make sure they're right fits for the company, but it also takes a little bit more time than an entry level person uh, to interview and, and you know, look for certain things. It may take a little bit more time uh, to kind of ask the right questions and, and figure out if those people are going to be successful in those middle-level roles. Uh, and I think it's probably a lot uh, where companies um, feel they're investing heavier because when you bring on a new person, it costs them X amount of dollars to get them onboarded and get them set up. And, and then if they leave in a year, you know, they feel like it's a waste. So... I think those are the important positions for companies to hire, and a lot of the time they may not have the time to really key in on some of those roles, so they may act, ask for agencies to help out, you know, companies like the one I work for to, to kind of help them, especially if they have a large amount of positions open. And you're not a company that throws bodies out of position. You're looking to actually qualify fine because it's yeah I mean it's quality is always going to win over quantity right um, you know you can throw 10 resumes into a job but if they're not qualified for the role it's just going to be a waste well, of time yeah. if you did that to me yeah you might get one higher and after that you might get a second one but after that right yeah, we, uh, yeah, yeah it's um, done it's uh, most of the agencies recruiting agencies work on a con uh, is it contingent basis uh, I can't remember what it's called but um, you know, we only get paid if we place the candidates. Um, there are some agencies that'll uh, do retain searches, where they'll charge you a certain percent up front 
And then if you fill the role, they'll, they'll ask for, you know, the rest uh, of, of the money, you know, later on. So, um, you know, I always go the contingent model because I kind of prove my value that way. Um, and once I start placing people, the, the companies or the clients, uh, companies are what we call, what we consider clients in our business. Um, you know, once you kind of prove your worth there, uh, you can keep that relationship, you know, for a very long time. Let's uh, change subjects and sure. we'll finish up with this. Company-wise, what are you looking for? I'm a business owner. Yeah. What kind of a business are you looking, are you best suited for defining? Yeah, so the company I work for is called the Bolton Group. Uh, we're based out of Atlanta. We specialize in uh, placing accounting and finance professionals with uh, corporations or companies, uh, mainly on the eastern part of the U.S., but nationally. Um, we have teams in uh, Atlanta, Cleveland, Washington, D.C., and Baltimore, Nashville, Orlando, Tampa, Houston, and the Carolinas. So I'd say 80 or 90% of what we do is, is found, uh, finance and accounting-based, um, some operations and supply chain. Um, but we've got some people who are experienced in, in all other areas, marketing, IT, sales, and all that stuff. But, um, you know, the best contact for me is if you're a hiring manager or, or you know someone who's hiring accounting and finance positions um, for me to get in front of them and, and kind of show the value that we can add and the types of uh, you have an quality background. candidates. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I did six years in accounting and audit with um, major corporations, um, you know, Fortune 500, uh, $2, 3000000000 billion companies. So, uh, well, again, you know, I'm just, just, the, just we're just we're yeah. here at the Armature Works here in downtown Tampa and uh, up in a, I think it's one of the coolest places I've ever been at. It's called Bay Three, and um, I just love this place. Just the vibe is the, the people who are members here. The vibe is just so cool. I'm looking out over my uh, right shoulder at the uh, at the river, and UT's right around the corner. It's just I love it. Anyways, what what comes to mind for me is <clears throat> if I'm in HR and I got to fill in it. Yeah. a mid-level or senior-level accounting position. I'm not an accountant. I, yeah. don't, I don't have that background. So I think I think one of the problems, a lot of people, and you, you know, you tell me, I don't know, but you, you have to hire for a, a skilled position that you don't know what the skill right. set is. And that's just, that's just has the word disaster written all over it. And that's multiple hires until you find the right person. And even then it might not be the right person. I just, I would not, I mean, if, if I had a company that I'm the owner because I've got the money and it's, it's a, uh, let's say it's a, a blood test, you know, we, we do blood tests. I decided I'm going to, here's a good one, I'm going to open a medical practice. You don't need to be a doctor to own a medical practice. You need to be a doctor to practice medicine. Mm -hmm. Okay, I need to hire doctors. <laughs> I yeah. wouldn't know where to begin. Right. Yeah, and that's, uh, I think, some of the biggest complaints we get or hear from some of the hiring managers we directly work with is uh, obviously they have to communicate what they want in a position to HR, right? And, and like you said, HR is not accounting and finance for the most part, they're not. So there's a little bit of miscommunication maybe there and, and the importance of certain skills that they may be looking for in the accounting and finance department, um, which is why we're good because most of the people who work for the company I work with have been in accounting or audit or finance in some capacity before we got into recruiting. Um, 
but yeah, that's the, it's there's definitely a little barrier there. And then the other piece is HR. Um, rightfully so, they feel like they have internal teams that can handle it. They pay these people to do it. Um, so it, it somewhat makes sense that they want to do it themselves. But if they're not getting results, I don't, and they have the budget just to get agency help, uh, I don't see why they wouldn't do it. Uh, we can definitely make their life easier. Um, but, you know, it, it just kind of depends on how they're structured. Um, a lot of the time, HR people can have some pride and they want to do it themselves, and I don't, I don't blame them. I think I would probably be that way in some capacity if I worked in a corporate HR function. Um, but, you know, if you're, if you're doing a disservice to the managers who are actually running the business or have a hand in the, the financial pieces, especially the strategy of the business, um, you need to take a look at that and, and really make sure you're providing the right people because if you put the wrong people in the business, your growth will slow. You know, you, you're not going to get some of the projects done that you want to get done. So, um, you know, as long as they communicate together, fine. You know, it works out for the most part, but sometimes there's that uh, a little bit of, of miscommunication there or not understanding the importance of, of some of the things. Um, so some of the positions get brushed aside or take way too long to fill. Um, you know, I think those are the common things we hear from, from the actual hiring managers, uh, which is when we step in. Do you want to participate in Connecting Dots? If you do, let's talk. So if you want to get together and have a conversation, here's what I need you to do. Schedule a conversation with me. Schedule a conversation. The easiest way to do that is to go to fixedcostfinancial.com and use the forward slash chat with Paul. Now, there's a lot of different ways to get a hold of us, but there you'll actually be able to schedule something with me or my personal assistant where we will talk with you for about 15 minutes and figure out what's the best way to do this. Now, I'm out and about, and I've got a little portable recording studio. We just find a nice, quiet little place. Randy and I were basically in a very loud environment, and I did that specifically because I wanted to see how that would turn out with some editing and again, going forward, I'm going to try to find places a little bit more quiet because I took too much time personally working through the editing on that with everybody else here. But here's the key thing. We can do this face-to-face. -face. We can do it long distance. We have several ways in which we can do audios and videos and conversations. Again, it depends upon your technology skill and level. With that said, for clients of our firm, we also have a program called 3M. Now, I'm not going to get into 3M in detail. But you should know it's about all things money, and it begins in your mind. Years ago, we created a thing called Minting Millionaire Mindsets, and it's cool. And it starts with what you think about and who you think you are. But there are a lot of people that need that extra hand, that calm voice, that coach to help get you through a situation. But here at Fixed Cost Financial, I got to tell you, that's not what we do. We're not your financial coach. We're not your financial planner. We're an investment advisor and an investment manager. And frankly, most of you do not need a financial planner. Most of you need good old-fashioned investment management investment advice. But one of the things I do believe is non-conflicted fiduciary-based coaching. So, we do not affiliate with life coaches, not in any way, shape, or form, not psychiatrists, not psychologists, not social workers. But instead, what we like to do is interview these people, talk with them, make a connection, 
and offer them to you as a way of, well, again, you need somebody to talk to who's a cool person. Isabel Stevenson is one of those cool people. And it's my pleasure to bring a short little clip from Isabel. Hi, I'm Isabel. I'm a life coach and a personal trainer for your mind. Remember that a belief is simply a thought that you think over and over until it becomes truth for you. A limiting belief is one that you are not aware of but limits how you perceive life. It's a negative opinion about yourself or the world or your partner or your child. A limiting belief holds you back from achieving what you want. Just be aware of those. We'll take it from there. I'll talk to you next time. You got this. I had a chance to meet Isabel at a network after work event. This is one of those things where I told you earlier, when you want to make a meaningful conversation with somebody, and this is a gal that I think is worthy. If you want to sit down and chat, you can find her. Just simply go to the internet at isabelstevenson.com. That's S-T-E-P-H-E-N-S-O-N.com. She told me I screwed up her phone number last time I gave it, so I'm going to try to do it again. It's one of those tongue tires, okay? 732-331-2246. That's 732-331-2246. And you can get a hold of her by her name. What else? Isabel Stevenson Coach at gmail.com. And she's got a blog, and she's on LinkedIn. Cool person. I highly recommend getting a hold of her if you're looking for a coach. And again, she's technologically savvy just like us. Well, let's connect all the dots. What am I asking you to do? I'm asking you to take responsibility. Do what you like. Do what you're good at. Do what you're profitable at. Do what you can control. You got to do what's good for you. You got to stop conforming and being a lemming and following everybody out there. Just because they say it, it doesn't make it right. Don't let propaganda and all the fake mainstream media news Think for you, for God's sake. Think for yourself. Embrace creativity. And those who are willing to take a chance, let them take a chance. Stop shutting down free speech. Stop shutting down thought. Stop thinking small, regardless of how large or small you live. Thinking is limitless. And Frankly, look, one year's experience, 50 times over, that doesn't give you 50 years of experience. You want to pack 50 years of experience into a handful of years. You won't regret it. And for God's sake, stop following all of the people that are wasting time in your life, okay? This whole thing about fear of missing out is destroying lives. Who gives a crap what everybody else is doing? Engage physically with strength, endurance, and flexibility. And you want to do natural nutrition and hydration and everything in moderation. You want to power up your emotional well-being, your financial, your emotional wealth now by knowing when to react, how to react, and having patience. And fire up your intellectual wealth by, well, having a breadth of knowledge, a depth of knowledge, and good old-fashioned common sense. And focus on the things that you like, are good and profitable at. Focus on partners, associates, business acquaintances. Improve your financial wealth. Friends, yeah, they don't mix well in business. 
You don't want to do business with friends. I know, buy low, sell high, but most people buy high and sell low. And the same goofy views about always wanting to deal with friends, no. You want professionals in your life. Here's the thing. Professionals know and understand you, but they don't cross the line. They're true fiduciaries. And that's what we do day in and day out here at Fixed Cost Financial. Well, that does it for today. My name is Paul Truesdell, and thank you for joining me here on Connecting Dots, brought to you by Fixed Cost Financial, a true fiduciary-based registered investment advisor, where you will not pay more because you have more or receive less because you have less. Full accountability, full accessibility, and transparency doesn't get any better than the way we've done it. Make sure to read the disclaimer in our show notes, and always remember, never forget, you need to assume that we have a conflict of interest due to the number of holdings that I have personally, those of our corporation and all of our clients. It just is what it is. Connecting Dots is a uh, weekly uh, broadcast here at Fixed Cost Financial, and if you'd like to participate, give us a call at 212-433-2525. That's 212-433-2525. Make sure to visit FixedCostFinancial.com. That's FixedCostFinancial.com. You'll be glad you did. Now get up and get off your behind and do something productive. And get off Facebook. Get off social media. Do something. Do me a favor and tell your family, friends, neighbors, relatives, and co-workers about Fixed Cost Financial as the podcast you want to listen to. Each episode is designed to build around a central theme. And, well, next week we'll see what comes up. But I guarantee you we'll put a little bit of effort into it. That you can bet your sweet bippy on. Thanks for joining. As always, had a ball. Hope you did as well. We're out of here. This town needs an enema.